0: scripture reading today is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 10 through 21. On a Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again he asks, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. May God be pleased with the reading of his word. Please be seated. Jesus Christ is both Lord of the Sabbath and King of His Kingdom. As such, He exercises unmatched authority and power. And in our passage today, we find Jesus teaching in the synagogue. And it's one of the last times we will find Him in the synagogue as the conflict with the religious leaders is uh, reaching its peak. Luke introduces us to a woman in verse 18. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Now, this woman was in a bad way. First, she was a woman. And according to the custom, was considered less than a man. In fact, the passage that is recited by traditional Jewish men at the beginning of the daily morning prayers concludes, Blessed are you, Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a woman. Secondly, she was handicapped, being bent over. Modern doctors can see a severe case of spondylitis and extreme curving of the spine to where the victim can only look downward. While that may be accurate, in this case, it tells us that the cause was a spirit. In other words, there was a demonic hand involved in inflicting this woman for 18 years. As one commentator phrased it, the woman's illness has a physiological expression, but is rooted in a cosmological disorder. And this is an unusual case in Scripture, unlike the typical demon possession cases. Christ does not address a demon, nor command it to come out, Nevertheless, the woman's condition is attributed to an evil spirit. As I mentioned last week, the common thinking regarding people who had bad things happen to them, whether experiencing a a tragic death, as we saw last week, or in this case, physical deformity, was that the person was bad and was receiving just consequences for their sin. So this poor woman was no doubt a social outcast and No doubt shunned even in the synagogue. However, as we read on, when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. People like this woman are often invisible to society. No one would acknowledge her or offer her help or extend kindness to her. And certainly not the religious leaders who did not want to get too close to her, fearing she may touch them and make them unclean. In contrast to society's treatment of this woman, it says Jesus saw her. Three little words we may quickly read over without grasping the deeper meaning, Jesus saw her. She was not invisible to Jesus. But rather, he was was immediately drawn to recognize her and had compassion for her. This kind of embarrasses myself when we... uh, Perhaps you're in the same situation when you walk through the city or around the area and you see all these people in desperate need, homeless, and with signs. You don't want to see them. They could be standing right there, but you walk right by them. There's one guy in front of BJ's the other night. I've seen him before, and I just had to walk by him because I had to get out. Had a sign. I had look at the sign. He looking for work. So I said, well, I can't help them. I felt bad about that. I felt like I wasn't doing the Christian thing somehow. And we all have had that experience, and we, we wrestle with the tension that's there as we walk by these invisible people, people in need. But Jesus saw her. And now notice, he called her forward. Now, if it was one thing that the woman in this situation did not want to do, it was draw attention to herself. And yet, consider this woman for a moment. We are not told if she routinely went to the synagogue. Odds are, probably, that uh, being that she was shunned, it would not have been a pleasant experience. But she heard that Jesus was going to be there. This this man of God, this teacher. And that's why she was there. However, either way, she wanted to be there to see and hear Jesus. In spite of her 18 years of disability and desperation, she wanted to be where Jesus was. I think there's a great... Lesson regarding her determination and trust. She had obviously heard of Jesus and the many miracles he had performed. and, And hoped for something to happen being in his presence. So she comes to the synagogue. And no doubt taking the most distant place in the back where the women gathered. In some dark corner perhaps. And now came the moment she had prayed for. Jesus acknowledges her and calls her forward. And no doubt with mixed feelings of perhaps embarrassment and and fear, she responds in hope and courage and she comes forward. And Jesus pronounces, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Is that not what Jesus came to do? As we will learn from Isaiah when it first started, He came to set the prisoner free. Prisoner of sin and disabilities. And He freed her from her infirmity. And this is what happens in the kingdom of God. The woman immediately straightened up and praised God. Can we even imagine... The overwhelming joy and gratitude of this woman. For 18 years, she was looking down at the ground. Now she could look people in the face. She was fully healed and restored to complete health. And most of the congregation were, as it mentions in verse 17, were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Who wouldn't be elated and excited about such a wonderful healing and liberation? Jesus proved his authority over the demonic realm once again. Who wouldn't be applauding? Well, there were some who were not applauding, but criticizing Jesus. Verse 14. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. It was the synagogue leader, he was indignant. The synagogue leader was responsible to maintain order and see that the law was faithfully taught. In his mind, Jesus broke the Sabbath. And he does not address Jesus directly. He speaks to the crowd, thereby challenging Jesus' authority. Now what he says contains some truth. One should not work on the Sabbath day. If it was a matter of life or death, the law allowed one to take action. But one can almost hear the ruler argue, this is not a life-threatening situation. She was this way for 18 years. She could have waited one more day. But this is the type of thinking that had become a source for such legalistic interpretations that had become such a a burden upon the people and and strangled the spirit of the law for the letter of the law. And Jesus responds with a a powerful counter-argument the Lord answers them, you hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years long, be set free on the Sabbath from what bound her? Now obviously there were a number of people who agreed with the synagogue ruler because the word hypocrites is plural. And then Jesus points out that caring for one's livestock was permitted on the Sabbath. Why should this woman, a daughter of Abraham, wait one more day to be liberated and refreshed? Should Satan be allowed even one more day to torment this woman? And even Jesus' use of the title, Daughter of Abraham, raises the significance and the dignity of this woman who otherwise was shunned and avoided. If people showed concern for their animals, how much more compassion should you show a person? I often think, how many of our present-day animal rights activists protest as vehemently for the rights of the unborn. What we see here is a very sad fact. A critic's eye is never satisfied. The critic's eye is never satisfied. Think about how many people were critical of Jesus, who just happened to be God incarnate, king of kings, and master of the universe. The synagogue ruler was obviously straining at a net and ignoring the camel. When you have a hostile spirit towards someone, everything they do or say, you color with criticism. Reminds me of that old joke of the new pastor trying to fit into the new congregation and slowly won everybody over but two old men. And finally decided decides he's going to take them fishing and have it out with them. And while they're out there, the gust of wind picks up and blows one of the men's hats off into the lake. The pastor says, I'll get it. He jumps out of the boat, runs across the water, grabs the hat and runs back, hands it to the old guy. The old guy takes the hat, turns to the other guy and says, see, we have a pastor who can't even swim. <laughs> a critical spirit leads to hard-heartedness that crushes compassion and mercy. But in this instance, wooden legalism is condemned by Jesus in favor of showing compassion to the one in need. As one author noted, the healing shows whose side God is on. The issue of choosing Jesus in light of who he is and what he does is of paramount importance in any era. We should always be careful to be compassionate people. Even if it means doing things differently, even if it means not saying we've never done it that way before, many people are bent over. They're bent over and oppressed with life eclipsing conditions of sin and perhaps drugs and alcohol. Perhaps life circumstances have made them prisoners or they're homeless. We need to respond to those who come seeking Jesus with Christ-like compassion. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 6, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will enter the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is what some of you were. It reminds us that at one point in our sin we were all bent over. We needed liberation from the things that kept us bent over. And it is coming to faith in Christ that we find that freedom and forgiveness. The hope and the peace with God and the ability to straighten up and to praise Him. With Jesus, every day, any day, is a day of redemption and liberation, even and perhaps especially the Sabbath day. As the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus' interpretation of the law is correct. Jesus' critics were humiliated because of the untenable position they held and that it revealed their callousness of heart. Then Jesus gives two short parables about the kingdom of God. Jesus asks, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew became a tree and the birds perched in its branches. And again he said, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now the, the healing is connected to these parables by the word then. The Jews were very interested in the coming kingdom of the Messiah. However, they envision it as coming all at once with great pomp and power liberating them from Rome's iron fist. But Jesus likens the kingdom to a mustard seed. To his audience, the mustard seed was the smallest seed. And yet, as Jesus points out, it grows into a tree large enough that the birds of the air Come and, nest. and in the Old Testament, birds were often symbolic of the various nations. And that being the case, Jesus is saying that as the kingdom of God grows, it will attract not just Jews, but Gentiles from every nation. Now this was a radical thought and it required a great paradigm shift for every Jew. We don't appreciate it. The concept that Gentiles should be as blessed and included as God's chosen was foreign, if not downright offensive to the Jew. Paul, writing about the mystery of the gospel, states in Ephesians 3:6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and share us together in the promise of Christ Jesus. You should be happy because you're Gentiles. Paul goes on, he talks about addressing the Gentiles in Ephesians 2. It talks about this dramatic change that took effect. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. By which he put to death their hostility. Consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers. But fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And what Jesus is saying in these parables is that the kingdom comes, but it grows one miracle at a time. The kingdom of God has grown. The kingdom of God is wherever Christ reigns. Whenever Christ performed a miracle, or he cast out a demon, or offered forgiveness of sins, he demonstrates his cosmic authority as king of the kingdom. And at that moment, the kingdom is visible. The kingdom of God was at hand. And Christ's reign has only expanded since then. What started out as just 12 disciples... According to a 2011 Pew Research survey worldwide, there are now 2.2 billion people who claim to be Christian. But this growth has not come by force or pomp or pageantry. As the mustard seed, though small, has great hidden potential, so does yeast. And that's the point of the second parable. The first parable was addressed to the men. The farmers, a man, took and planted a seed. But this parable addresses women. It's like yeast that a woman took. And Jesus often switches back from forth from men to women in his parables. Old Testament professor David Wenheim points out, it is striking that Jesus did not share the prejudices of many of his contemporaries about women. The revolution of God means the breaking down of divisive prejudice, whether against Samaritans, tax collectors, women, or children. While most of the time in Scripture, yeast is symbolic of evil, evil influences that subtly permeate and corrupt, here, however, is one of the few times it is used in a positive sense. The advancement of the kingdom of God, like yeast, starts its hidden work as God's grace subtly transforms and makes alive individuals so that faith can be birthed. The kingdom is not about influencing society that it might change men, it's rather about changing men and women to influence society. And ultimately, the king will return and establish his kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth. Until then, believers ought to continually seek to to advance the kingdom, primarily through the church, to all peoples and nations through service and sacrifice and witness. Jesus tells these parables to elicit trust in the often hidden work of God. Remember, Jesus authoritatively declared, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Though there be periods of growth or periods of decline, God's plan will not fail to accomplish all that he has purposed. And we are part of God's work right here and right now. Let's take to heart the example of this woman. Perhaps we might think, you know, she had every right to be angry with God for not hearing her prayers for 18 years. Why would she even go to synagogue? But she did. She had heard about Jesus and wanted to be where he was. But just her presence was not enough. Not on this day. Her hope and faith in Jesus required her to respond to his call. All true believers respond to the call of Jesus. Putting aside her embarrassment, her fear of ridicule, maybe laughter, her hesitancy about what others might think, she responded and came to the front to be where Jesus was. Perhaps in slow and torturous steps, she finally made it. And it was there that she found what she had hoped for, what, she, what seemed so impossible after 18 years. 18 agonizing years of infirmity, she found freedom and liberation From her distress. Then Jesus touched her. Remember, people with infirmities and disfigurements were not only shunned, but they were physically avoided. To feel the tender and compassionate touch of Jesus must have been such a soul satisfying experience for this woman. Somebody cared. And in her response, she established a personal relationship with Jesus as her Savior and Lord. And now she would be able to praise God, being able to stand up straight and actually look up to heaven in her praise to God. Such common things we take for granted. I remember one time when I was working over at the health department. We had an incident. I was inspecting a doctor's office. I did the X-rays, and this doctor, who was breaking the law, charged me and my partner uh, with saying racist comments. And the director of the health department immediately took his side, and basically wanted me fired. And A couple of guys who knew me intervened and got to be this big thing with the union and all. But in the meantime, I was sent out to become the bubblegum police. You may not realize this, but when you go into gas stations or a tire place or little places along the you ever see those little put in the quarter and you turn the thing and a bubblegum thing comes out? Well, you know they have to be inspected. You know that there's a fee that they have to have a sticker on them. So that became my job. And I would have to go to a certain town and I'd have to walk up and down and find these machines and make sure they're operational and that they weren't growing green things in them and and I was mad. I said, like, This is not fair. I did nothing. And I was complaining and walking around and complaining in the hot summer. One day I was just sitting in my car getting ready to go and I saw this man come out of the store and he was very much crippled. He had two braces and he was kind of dragging his legs and it was just painful steps, painful and slow. The Lord spoke to me. He said, and you are complaining because you're walking around town. I was humbled. I said, Yep. You know, we take such common things for granted, don't we? I said, Lord, not another word. I'm happy I'm walking around, and that was the end of it. It all worked out in my favor, and her contract was not remo- uh, renewed, and I was restored, and like Joseph. and uh, <laughs> So it all worked out. But I think that this woman should inspire all of us. Regardless of what we might be going through in life, no matter how bent over by life's pressures and stresses, the problems, we need to seek Jesus and to be where He is, where He is proclaimed through the Word and where praises are sung to glorify Him as the greatest emancipator who alone can liberate His people from sin and bring healing and forgiveness and reconciliation with God. I want to encourage you all, especially those who feel in any way bent over, to continue to be here in church. I admire folks who do not allow ailments and physical limitations to keep them from attending church. I've heard so many excuses of why people couldn't come to church we won't even go into that. We'll be here for hours. And they pale into insignificance when I see people who are perhaps even physically struggling to get here, who had every who had a good reason, maybe to stay home, but they wanted to be here to be with Jesus and God's people. Let's be honest, when you love someone. You want to be around that person. And when you love Jesus, you want to be around Jesus. You want to be around people who love Jesus. In Acts 2.42, we read that the members of the early church quote devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all these activities are essential to growing in Christ and all occur in the local church. Our Christian faith is to be a communal faith, a corporate endeavor. Listen to all these plurals, the us and the we in Hebrews 10, 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. But we won't make church a priority if Christ is not a priority. This is a simple test of conversion. Once a person is born again by the Holy Spirit, the things that are important to God become important to him or her. The yeast of the Holy Spirit must be worked into one's heart to affect and bring about that transformation. And as the woman in the synagogue, one must respond to the call of Jesus. If you have never responded, even though you may look like a Christian, you may act like a Christian, but you are not a Christian if you are not born again. And the evidence of that response to the call of the gospel is to be repent and believe. And like that woman, don't let embarrassment or fear of what people might think stop you. Exercise courage and respond to the call of Jesus to be saved. Make a public profession and be baptized to show that you're a sincere believer. For others, we need to awaken to the thought, how will Jesus use me today? I am an answer to someone's need. Jesus has gifted us and the Holy Spirit lives within us helping us to do the work of the kingdom. But we often have busy schedules. Not just one day, but day after day. This bent over woman awakened to the fact that Jesus was present. He had the answers of a meaningful, fulfilling, freeing life. She sought him out. She sought God out. And she wasn't disappointed. What if she had done what so many people do? stayed home those people who turn attend bedpost baptist what if she gave into despair and didn't attend synagogue that day she had to be willing to give up a way of life which for 18 years confined her And this is a sad thing. Sometimes after such a chronic, debilitating condition, people don't want to change. Because they have grown accustomed to the familiarity of despair. They've given up. They don't want to take a chance. But we must face the fact that we as believers are now kingdom dwellers. And our king has not only brought us into the kingdom, but has gifted us to further his cause in the lives of those he brings our way. He wants to destroy that familiarity of despair in people's hearts and lives and infuse hope and joy and gratitude. And you may be that instrument. What would it be like to awaken every day to the true joy of significantly living out the passions for our Lord? Have relationships redeemed, the bruised and the bent straightened, lies revealed, truth joyfully freeing us. God has appointed you, just as he appointed this bent-over woman. Just as he appointed the woman who worked the dough, the man who sowed the seed, the kingdom of God is growing. What will it take for you to see the kingdom grow? People who are willing to pray and pursue, to confront, to resist. What passions were awakened in you when you first came to know Jesus as Savior? Are they still passions? You now Jesus' enemies don't play nice. And his enemies are your enemies. We must be careful not to thwart the Holy Spirit who calls us often, even in our difficulties. This year, what will you do to advance the kingdom of God in your spheres of life? There are people waiting for your ministry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in you and we thank you so much, Lord, that you put someone in, all, in our path, in our lives, that spoke the truth of the gospel to us and used them to bring us to you. And from our bent-over condition, Lord, we rose up, we straightened up, and we were able to praise you as members of your kingdom. Father, we humbly ask that you would use us the lives of those around us, and we'll thank you for it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.